Hello and welcome to the AT and WB podcast. I am your host, Chris Taylor. You can find me online, as always, at Zeitgeist. And I'm here with a special guest today. He comes out of Arkansas, and he is a professor of, of film at yes. what university is it exactly? Yeah, I'm a lecturer at the University of Arkansas at Fayetteville. I, I thought that was the university, but I didn't want to just assume that that was the university that you worked at. Yeah, nice. well, and that's the big one in Arkansas, but technically there's like UALR, University of Arkansas in Little Rock, and University of Arkansas in Fort Smith, but... Okay, um, and are they all the Razorbacks? No, only the University of Arkansas at Fayetteville is the Razorbacks. Okay. Um, so that makes them the most legit, in my opinion, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah. So funny. Well, it would. Be, I guess it would be like the different UCLA schools. There's like yes. well, UCLA, but then there's UC, I don't know, there's other ones. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So we're here today to talk about the news of the company Warner Brothers. And we have a lot of news to get through. It's A lot of it is left over from the last couple months. So let's get started. First up, we'll talk about the Warner Media streaming service. After the news of Warner starting their own streaming service, they have announced about a week later that they are killing off another streaming service they have called Filmstruck, a streaming service for cinephiles. Have you used Filmstruck at all? I feel like it would be really good for your classes, actually. Yeah, I never used Filmstruck, but I I mean, I used to buy DVDs from the Criterion Collection when they came on sale at like Barnes exactly. & Noble. Yeah. Um, and, and I did, I think I briefly used it when it was on Hulu, when they had the library. Um, yeah, but, Hulu used to have the Criterion Collection. I don't know, it was an add-on too, right? Or no, when I, when I was using it, it was just bundled in. Um, that's so they may, cool. They may have made it an add-on right before they removed it completely, but when I was using it, I think it was just bundled in. Well, I think that the reason why Warner has shuttered the Filmstruck streaming service is simply so that they can build their new Warner streaming service off the back of the dead carcass of Filmstruck. So I think they're going to take all of the things that were on Filmstruck and just add them to their own library. Yeah, that would make sense to me. Especially since they own that catalog, it, it doesn't make sense for them not to use it in some way. So if they're getting rid of Filmstruck and they're going to add those different tiers to a potential Warner streaming service, you'd think that that would be available. At least the Criterion Collection would be available in one of those tiers. Yeah, I'm assuming too that like Casablanca is on Filmstruck, though I don't know. But that, I think that would be the most classic Warner Brothers movie. Of course, yeah, and- they and also they own, own Wizard of Oz, but... Yeah, they own Wizard of Oz, and I think they own a lot of the Kurosawa uh, films. Oh, really? And, I mean, if I don't know if they own Criterion or if they just have this exclusive relationship with them or what, but I know that the reason I loved Criterion for a long time was that they had most of the Kurosawa library. And yeah, so I think, that I think it's just an exclusive draw. partnership because yeah. I remember Armageddon being part of yeah. the Criterion Collection at one point. And like and Wes I, Anderson films. Yeah, I don't even remember what company released Armageddon. No, like no me neither. It wasn't Disney because it wasn't part of the Disney. I used to do post-production work for Disney. So I, I used to have to go through the list of like their 800 or I might have even been thousands of movies and work on each one individually. Oh, and yeah. I don't remember Armageddon being part of that. <laughs> yeah, but there was a lot of Jerry Bruckheimer. I guess that's why I'm thinking of that. Yeah. He had a big deal with them for a while. <clears throat> and that's why we get the Pirates movies, which mm-hmm. I personally think they should give the Pirates franchise over to Lucasfilm. I think that would be so awesome. Oh, yeah. 
No, I agree. Yeah. I mean, in, anything on that epic of a scale is like right up their alley, obviously. So exactly, and just like Kathleen Kennedy do her thing with it, I think it would be really special. Yeah. Warner has also shuttered their Korean drama video on-demand service Drama Fever, which was started in 2009 as well as Super Deluxe, a short-form comedy portal. I don't know if you've ever been to, to Super Deluxe at all. That sounds really familiar, though. Like, I've seen some of their sketches or something before. Yeah, I feel like that was trying to be their competition with Adult Swim. Mm. It was more live action, but I think they're trying to Eagle Heart and kind of shows like that. Okay. Um, like 15-minute live action comedy, well, uh, Children's sense. Hospital. Um, yeah, well, Adult Swim is owned by Turner, which is owned by, you know, Warner and AT&T. So. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, so it makes sense that they'd be all in, like, bed together, you know? And I think they briefly developed, like, Super Deluxe, I thought, was developing uh, an Axe Cop series, based on the comics um but i don't know if that ever went oh i think they did have that but on fox they had these fox short form content like adult swim and they would air them i think like on saturdays though like fox oh, maybe that's a, network maybe i'm confusing super deluxe with them but I, I feel like maybe that's all kind of in that same vein like super deluxe was trying to do 15 minute type serial shows yeah. and x x cop is great to adapt well you know what it is but it's it's a guy and then his younger younger brother like five originally writing the comics and then it took off into its own stratosphere yeah assuming that they're uh just going to condense and collect and combine all three of these offerings into this main warner streaming service filmstruck was seven bucks a month or 11 which then gave you the criterion collection then back in november a group of filmmakers including upcoming producer steven spielberg wrote an open letter to warner brothers picture group chairman toby emmerich in an attempt to save the default service here's that letter subject filmstruck dear toby we know that steven spielberg and martin scorsese have been in touch with you and warner's media group about the demise of filmstruck and i've urged you guys to keep it going while it was not your decision we would like to loudly echo their sentiments the filmstruck service was or is the best streaming service for fans of cinema of all kinds classic studio movies independent cinema international treasures without it the landscape for film fans and students of cinema is especially bleak there is a reason there was a huge outpouring from artists and fans over it being shuttered they were doing the movie god's work we know one of the reasons that it has been shut down is because of an upcoming warner streaming service but film shouldn't be a conflict of interest in this day and age where there are dozens of platforms curation of content is really important a film was providing a service to both satisfy older fans of cinema and a younger generation of cineasts that will be amazing or cineastas that will be making amazing movies long after we're dead it's funny because i i used to intern for the magazine cineast so uh, i don't know what it would be plural though in an era of huge corporate acquisitions of cinema by communication companies and a business that may render billions of dollars of a medium like cinema we believe that this is a gesture that is needed a minuscule show of goodwill towards the preservation and accessibility of a tradition and a rich history that would benefit the public so we want to add our names to the position started by marty and steven and want you and warners to know that we feel equally strongly and would do anything to support the service you saved yours truly paul thomas anderson anna lily amirpour james brolin damien chazelle alfonso Caron, guillermo del toro leonardo dicaprio james gray 
Alejandro Gonzalez Inoritu, Bill Hader, Karen Kusama, Barry Jenkins, Ryan Johnson, Christopher McQuarrie, Reed Morano, Christopher Nolan, and Emma Thomas, Gina Bryce Bythewood, Barbara Streisand, Edgar Wright, and Sean Baker. Now, I think this is really great that they wrote this. The one thing, though, is I feel like they're just talking about like eight months. This was closed in October, and the Warner streaming service is going to be there by, well, maybe a year, you know? By this coming October, we'll have the Warner streaming service with all of these movies again. But because of this, the Criterion Collection is going to be its own standalone service, and it is going to be retitled the Criterion Channel. And then they also announced that the Criterion Channel will be part of the new Warner Media streaming service, premiering again at the end of 2019. They haven't announced if the Criterion films will cost extra on the new app or be included on the base platform, because there's three. They're they're saying three different tiers for the platform right now, which is very confusing to me. Yeah, if Netflix has one tier where it's just one television at a time, one where you can stream it on two televisions, and then one where you can get 4K content. So even even Netflix, which is fairly straightforward, has secretly certain three am- tiers. Y- wow. Yeah, they have a certain amount of pricing. But uh, and then and Hulu, of course, has their base. I the think base package. They pride commercial. themselves in 23 different tiers over at Hulu. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't. Yeah, I don't love the idea of this tiered system because it does seem like a money grab. But it, it, I wonder. If, I don't know. It probably won't just be Warner Media who does kind of stuff like that in the future. Yeah, it's very true. And it seems like you know, if you want to pay for the DC Universe app, you can get it included in your Warner Media streaming service for just a smaller add-on than if you were to just get the DC Universe app by itself. I mean, the big problem, too, is they're going to start conserving all of these streaming services at some point. There can yeah. only be so much money that you're going to spend on so many apps. And you can only fit so many apps on your phone and or your iPad anyway. Yeah, that's what I, I wouldn't want to pay for the highest level of this Warner Media tier and not get something like the DC streaming thing as well. Like It, it seems like whatever the premium plan is it needs to bundle everything they have to offer otherwise it's going to just feel like oh i have to not only am i paying the highest price but then i have to pay this for this extra thing and this for this other part yeah it seems like you want to keep all this stuff together especially yeah let's see media analyst michael j wolf had predicted that disney and warner will emerge as the winners in streaming he says smaller niche players like rooster teeth will also do well due to their loyal fan bases but warner and disney plus will emerge victorious due to their unique content and brand awareness which is true because they've both been around for a hundred years yeah Uh, you can't say that about rooster teeth but (laughs) uh, machinima a web-based entertainment company owned by warner media will soon realign to become part of otter media at&t's digital media company otter media also owns rooster teeth another digital media brand with the same target audience so maybe they'll merge their efforts together i'm vaguely familiar with both brands machinima did produce those Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter web series, uh, oh, yeah. which are probably like 10 years old now, honestly. Yeah. Uh, the closest Disney equivalent to this is the Disney-owned Maker Studios. Yeah. Supposedly, Machinima gets 140 million monthly views, which I could believe. 
Because they, yeah. they are a big player. Yeah, and I mean, like Rooster Teeth and Machinima, they're all geared toward developing influencers and a lot of YouTube content, right? Is that, that yeah. kind of their bread and butter? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I guess like they, once a YouTube star gets big, they probably scoop them up immediately and just yeah. add them as part of their own brand, which makes a lot of sense. Brad Bentley will be in charge of the Warner Media streaming service to market. He doesn't come from the Warner Media wing at AT&WB. Instead, he comes from the at TNT Entertainment section and helped launch DirecTV Now. John Stanky, I really hope that's how you pronounce his name, <laughs> has said that the three major components of the streaming service and the company as a whole are Warner Brothers, Turner, and HBO, which I find kind of interesting because I feel like Turner is going to be folded into Warner Brothers at some point still. Like, I mean, I guess, you know, you have Disney Animation Studios and Pixar, they are separate things. And Turner being separate from Warner still separates like Scooby-Doo from Bugs Bunny, you know? So I guess oh, that's yeah. a good thing. Let's just have that tiny bit of separation there. And even did say, if I'm paying for the highest tier of Warner Media, I wouldn't want to pay a lot for a bunch of you know, extra services. But HBO is the one thing I could see that them keeping as a separate thing that you pay for separately because they're established television brand that's been around for a while and they have a bunch of marquee shows. Exactly, whereas, like, yeah. Whereas the the DC streaming service, even though they have a huge library of like IP to pull from, they're still something that's kind of coming up and that yeah. that I would be more upset about having to kind of be nickel and dimed over. Whereas HBO, I, I feel like I would always try to find a way to pay extra for HBO. Yeah, definitely. Especially with Game of Thrones yeah. and all that good stuff always happening on that channel. In a conference call with investors, it was revealed that the streaming service will have three price levels, which we were just talking about. The first cheapest tier will be focused on movies. The second will be focused on original programming and big, huge tentpole films. And the third will be the Warner Media Library. That's what confuses me. I feel like the base should be the Warner Media Library yeah. <laughs> and then build off of that. But I don't know. What? Well, okay, that's sure. Keep in mind, AT&T's acquisition of the WB cost $81 billion, and it's still being technically held up in court. Stanky also said... Recently, that in the 90s, people would spend $300 on their home entertainment, but now they only spend $150. So they hope to get a chunk of that $150, you know, which is a mix of cable, streaming services, and DVD sales. People used to spend a lot more money, but now it's just all there. It's just so all so much easier to get to yeah i don't really seek out a movie anymore it just kind of like happens to me <laughs> yeah exactly the only time i'm ever really searching for something if i can't find it on a streaming service is if it's something i'm trying to show to somebody else or for class or what have you but yeah but yeah like, if i'm just casually viewing then i'm i'm never going out of my way to find something yeah exactly which i just watched one of the fire festival documentaries because it was there oh, yeah, on netflix <laughs> it was just so easy to watch and yep. wow what you know what's really scary about that documentary is like billy was his name right the, like yeah the, the douchebag who like screwed everyone over <laughs> yeah. like i feel like he could become president one day like easily yeah or some kind <laughs> of the scariest thing ever he, he could become a little jared kushner to somebody yeah yeah someone's jared kushner mm-hmm who knows? And AT&T, Warner Brothers, is also in massive debt, and they want to sell their 10% stake in Hulu, which will net them around $930 million. So between you know, the AT and WB companies selling their stake in Hulu and Disney and Fox merging, which merges their stakes in Hulu, that leaves Comcast currently owning 30% of Hulu, but they don't actually have any say in what happens at the company of Hulu because Comcast bought out NBC Universal, so they're not allowed to say what happens to the company anymore. So that will probably leave Disney 
as the main owner of Hulu at the end of the day, which I think is kind of an interesting thing that's going to happen. The only reason why I would think Comcast might fight to hold on to 30% is maybe that gives them access to Disney's planning for the streaming service. So if they get information as to what Disney's plans are, maybe that will help them in their own company's planning for how they want to do their uh, streaming service. Exactly. Yeah, because they did announce one as well. Yeah. Which, of course, they did. Yeah. Netflix has said that the Warner Media owned TV show Friends will remain on Netflix through the end of 2019, but AT&T CEO has said that the Netflix deal doesn't make Friends uh, streaming exclusive to Netflix and Warner Media will also be able to stream Friends as part of their upcoming streaming service. Randall Stevenson, the CEO of AT&T has said they don't need to spend 11 billion dollars on original content because they already have an exhaustive library that people already want. Just kind of a big dig at Netflix. Yeah. So if any final thoughts about the Warner streaming service, what they're doing right now? No, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what exactly is in those three tiers and kind of what you're talking about, like what what's the difference between the movies in the first tier and then the Warner Media Library in the third tier. And then also to see what happens with the Filmstruck Library that doesn't include Criterion content. Yeah, I wonder um, what, where yeah. all that's going to go. Because I'm sure a yeah. lot of the Filmstruck content was from the other companies as well. So yeah, that's true. It's probably going to be stripped apart, and actually, like all the Paramount movies will be moved to Paramount. Like the Paramount, I'm sure the Paramount will do a streaming service at some point. In fact, yeah. I'm sure Paramount's going to be bought out by someone very soon. The whole yeah. Viacom company, when Sumner Redstone goes, who owns all that Viacom stuff, that'll be very interesting to see what happens. Like I could see like Apple buying them out. Yeah, I could definitely see that. And then everything's going to condense. Verizon will buy one of them too. Maybe Verizon will buy. I don't know. Uh, what are the other ones that are left? Sony trying to sell their um they were a while ago yeah. yeah Warner Brothers Disney Universal Paramount Sony Fox there you go that's how I always think of it in my head even though that doesn't make any sense anymore anyway yeah maybe someday we'll see like T-Mobile Paramount Media <laughs> yeah well, I think T-Mobile is merging with Sprint now oh so it'll be T-Mobile Sprint yeah T- Sony yeah, exactly <laughs> so let's move on to DC Comics. Cue the DC Comics music. Uh, so first up, Ewan McGregor, one of my personal favorites, has been cast as Black Mask in the Birds of Prey film. This is great news. Black Mask, from what I've read in the comics, is a Batman villain who has a black like skeleton head face, similar to the Marvel Captain America villain Red Skull. He's a mob boss to the Flash Face Society. Hmm. I feel like I used to know more about the character, but I've forgotten a lot. I did a brief amount of research, and it did seem like Deathstroke at some point recruits him for the Secret Society of Supervillains. Oh, wow. Um, so I wonder if maybe this movie, if Ewan McGregor wants to do more of this character, that if that would launch him into a spinoff with Deathstroke and some other villains. To... That would be cool. Because didn't they have Deathstroke in the last, or I guess, spoiler alert, didn't they have him kind of at the end of one of the last DC movies? Batman versus Superman or Justice yeah, like, League? Yeah, I didn't yeah, like actually. Had, yeah. Yeah, it was... But anyway, if they actually, if that, that if that universe isn't dead after what happened with Snyder, then I mean, I could see maybe them trying to team up Deathstroke 
Deathstroke and Black Mask and other yeah. people into something. Yeah. And Aquaman, made, it's the most successful DC movie of all time now. It's made more than Dark Knight Rises, which is yeah. the only thing you need to make more than. Yep. So I think that's really good for them and good for yeah. James Wan. Kathy Yan recently talked about her Birds of Prey movie, and there's a quote here. I can read it. She said, I wouldn't say it was easy, but it was relatively painless and straightforward. I immediately loved the script and felt like it was something I could really do, and it felt very much like my own voice. I could not put the script down. I had so much dark humor to it, which a lot of my work does, and there are themes of female empowerment which are so strong and relatable. So I went in with, not with confidence, but at least a sense that I belonged in the room. That somehow magically, in terms of timing and luck, that this opportunity was open to me, and I was definitely going to make the best of it. It came out of me, said Jan. During her pitch meeting at Warner Brothers, I have never done any of these things, and I asked my agents for examples to get a better sense. I put together a pitch deck and also assembled a sizzle reel, but I would say it wasn't like a lot of other sizzle reels, which reference other films that remotely feel like your film. I find those to be rather pointless, but I created my own version that thematically and tonally conveyed what you would feel in my movie. Yeah, Birds of Prey, they were on a release for February 14th, 2020, but it's moved up a week to the seventh, getting it out of the way for Bond 25 and an untitled Disney live action film. Kathy Ann seems like she's going to put a lot of heart into this new movie. And I know they just started filming it this month in January of oh, 2019. Cool. Yeah, so it's all happening right now. Very exciting. More DC news. Young Justice Outsiders, aka season three of Young Justice, premiered on the DC Universe app on January 4th. I haven't watched much Young Justice. I've seen all of the Batman Superman shows, the Bruce Tim universe. I've seen all of that. Mm-hmm. So Batman Superman, Static Shock, Batman Beyond, Justice League, Justice League Unlimited. Even the Zeta projects, I've watched all of that. Yeah, so I haven't seen Young Justice though, but thematically it looks a little even darker than the Batman, Superman, Bruce, Tim verse from like the 90s that they made and the early 2000s. What characters are in Young Justice? I th- I think it's a lot of the Teen Titans. So, oh, okay. Yeah. Although, yeah, like Superboy. Yeah, I think Cyborg's in there. Mm. So I, th- I think it's a lot of uh, the Titans. Okay. I watched the trailer for the season three, and it looks incredible. The, the amount of emotion that's in that show seems very, like, there's a lot going on. So it does look really good. I should definitely dive into season one at some point. It has a very anime feel to it as well. So it's like a little Bruce Tim style of animation and a little anime style of animation oh, that's cool yeah and moving on uh john crier will play lex luther on supergirl crier won two emmys for his role on two and a half men and was of course ducky and pretty in pink john crier actually played lenny luther in the 1987 superman 4 the quest for peace lenny was lex's nephew in the film lex of course was played by gene hackman so now crier will get to come full circle and close that little button of his life which I think is just really cool. Yeah, that is cool. Yeah. I bet he'll be good in that role. He definitely seems like somebody who has a lot more range than just what you would assume from Two and a Half Men. So yeah, and wants pretty... to do a lot more than just Two and a Half Men. You can, yeah. He seems to be very like active and wanting to do a lot. And he is going bald. He showed off how he sprays his hair on on one late night show. So there's uh-huh. there's a picture of him now as Lex Luthor because they've already filmed, I guess, his first episode as it. I don't know if they're doing multiple. But yeah, he so he has his bald head and he's looking out. He, lo- he definitely looks the part, looks good. Yeah. 
cool. Yeah. More DC news. Amanda Adoko. It's really good. They're getting a lot of female creators to dive into the DC universe. Mm -hmm. It's something that Marvel isn't doing. So it's cool that to get that little edge for the DC films. Yeah. Uh, so Amanda Adoko is said to be writing and adapting Plastic Man into a film. This marks another DC comic being made into a film that may never get made. <laughs> Plastic Man originated at Quality Comics before that was bought out by DC Comics in 1956. Uh, yeah, that'd be, that'd be a tough character to market. Plastic Man? Yeah. yeah. I think what they're doing with Shazam is really brilliant. It's Spider-Man yes, yeah. meets Big, and it's so perfect. I think that movie's going to make so much money. Like Kids yeah. are going to love that. I'm way more impressed with the trailer than I thought it would be. I thought it was pretty good. Right? Me too. Whenever Kevin Smith on one of his podcasts used to get asked which DC character he wanted to adapt into a feature-length film or TV series, he would always answer with the question meaning the character, the question. And Mark Bernardin, who is on Kevin Smith's podcast, Fat Man Beyond with him, has now said that Kevin did get a phone call from DC Comics and Warner Brothers one day, and they asked him if he wanted to adapt the question. So he went to Mark Bernardin and asked Mark Bernardin if he wanted to do it with him. And of course, Mark said yes, but ultimately they made a pitch for the question, but they were never able to turn it into anything as the rights to the character are highly convoluted and it didn't work out currently. But it seems that the meetings are were still happening with how Mark Bernardin was talking on Fat Man Beyond and how they're definitely still adapting some DC property into a movie or TV show. I'm assuming TV show. I feel like they're doing a DC Universe show together, but I don't know. I don't know i'm just picking up these little strands that i hear on his podcast and trying to pull it all together well and didn't he after he directed a flash episode or was it a flash episode he's he he's directed like five flash episodes oh, now nice. and yes. i think so like maybe three his, supergirl maybe he's getting his feet wet with all that and kind of figuring out the pacing of how the other shows do it and, definitely and he's yeah. buddies he's buddies with greg berlanti i'm sure by now mm, so yeah Greg Berlante has 15, I think he has 50, 500 DC Probably. comic shows. Oh and God, he has yeah. the most shows of any showrunner. I think it's 17 now he has on the air. And he has like five in production. It's so crazy. It's so crazy. And more Birds of Prey news. Going back to Birds of Prey, Victor Zaz will be in Birds of Prey, a character from Batman's Rogue Gallery. He'll be played by Chris Messina, who was on the HBO show The Newsroom. He was also on The Mindy Project and Argo, which was a Ben Affleck-directed Warner Brothers film. Zaz is a serial killer in the comics, having been introduced in the Batman spinoff Batman Shadow of the Bat back all the way back in 19... 19- 1992 <laughs> he's, he's a brand new character really yeah uh, just like harley quinn probably like they were probably invented at the same time honestly yeah that's true he carves marks in his body for every victim he takes tim booth also played zaz in batman begins and he was played by anthony carrigan on gotham and interesting that, yeah and that's it for the dc news you know, as a side note, I need to catch up on Gotham because I heard that they just have introduced a ton of characters in the last few seasons. And yeah. I think they did, they did the Court of Owls, didn't they? I mean, they I did do the Court of Owls. It seems like they kind of gave them a lot of free reign over picking, IP use. Yeah, picking um, mythology to pull from. Which I, I know they're definitely not that fast and loose at other comic companies making TV shows. But DC seems to be fairly cool about letting their creators so, experiment with different characters yeah. yeah they almost let them get away with too much it seems in a way yeah yeah that's true 
yeah. it, it, it goes both ways. Yeah, but yeah, it's still good. I love on The Flash, spoilers for The Flash, but I like how the original actor who played The Flash plays a version of his original character in the new one. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, he, it's not the same because he played Barry Allen in the old one, and now he plays like the like the name of the original Flash in the new one. Oh, that's uh, cool. So he's a different name, but he considers it the same character. This version of the character went through all the stuff that the original one did in the original series, even mm. though that one was named Barry Allen. Yeah, so I think that's really cool that they did that. Let's move on to Looney Tunes news. There's actually Looney Tunes news, Alex. There's actually Looney Tunes news. Yeah. And it's very small. It's just Space Jam 2 has been awarded about $22 in California tax cuts, meaning the film is definitely going forward and is being filmed in California. I'm sure LeBron James is happy. It should bring in $41 in production crew checks, which is astounding. So this movie is happening. They are making Space Jam 2. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Does California do a lottery system with films the same way that they do with their TV shows that they I work? I think so, tech? yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if it's a lottery or if they're just like, and you get it, and you get well, it, and a, F I, you I, in the corner. I was trying to imagine <laughs> if like there are a bunch of senators sitting around just voting on whether Space Jam 2 gets made or, like, <laughs> yeah. or Splash 3 gets made or something. <laughs> yeah, I like that you are aware that there was a Splash 2. I was sure. just assuming there was a Splash 2. I was like, I, I better not say Splash 2 because I bet there is one out there. I'm yeah. going to just roll I, the dice. I think it's Splash spelled 3. T-O-O for some reason. Mm. Like. This person's also splashing. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to Warner Pictures and Warner Television, the director of the Warner Stephen King phenomenon, It will be directing the Attack on Titans movie for Warner. It made $700 million worldwide, and he's currently making a sequel with Jessica Chastain, Bill Hader, James McAvoy, and Isaiah Mustafa a.k.a. the old Spice guy, as the older versions of the kids. Now, are you a big Stephen King file? I'm not a huge Stephen King file. I have read it, and I've I've seen, obviously, the first movie they made, or at least this first recent iteration of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Everyone I was a huge a fan movie. of that. Yeah, and I like the TV movie also. Nice. And the only thing that scares me is that, so I really like the director of this recent It movie, mm-hmm. um, and I really like Attack on Titan, or at least the first season of Attack on Titan. But I just don't know about the live action version. That's just going to be a really tough thing to pull off. They already made a live action version of Attack on Titan in Japan, Japan. I think. Oh, wow. Uh, and I I saw clips of it. I never saw the whole thing. It'd be it just... really creepy because it's giant yeah. it's giant people, right? Like attacking yeah. cities. Yeah, and whenever you're doing CGI like that with Pacific Rim, it's one thing for giant robots to be fighting giant monsters. But when you're fighting giant monsters that look like people big people with no skin there's just something a little hokey about it and i I just don't know how you can pull it off like there's something about oh i buy somebody fighting a giant lizard because i have a frame of reference with godzilla and i have a frame of reference with other monster movies definitely but the the second you make the villain like a giant person that's when it just feels a little hokey if it's not animated so (laughs) yeah we'll see yeah i honestly i feel like this project will never happen yeah (laughs) This yeah. seems like something that he really wants to do, exactly. but, but it's just like a passion thing that he's just like, I'm going to be the one who adapted and no one else, and then he never does it. Yeah, I bet after the success of the first Ape movie, they probably just said, what do you want to do next? And he looked at that one, and it's a hugely successful franchise now, but yeah. we'll see what, if it actually happens. What would you say if they were like, you could have any movie ever, like, what would you do? Like, any you could movie? Adapt, uh, if you could adapt any, anything. 
thing. If they're just like, uh, take a, take a, it doesn't have like any company. I'm still, I've always kind of had my heart set on that show, Outlaw Star. Oh, yeah. Uh, when you go back and look at it, there are so many elements that are a little too close to Firefly, even though even though Outlaw Star came before it. But because it was a TV show, you can find other episodes that would still make a great movie. Yeah, but yeah that, that's probably yeah. the project that... Yeah. I, went, I wonder if Joss Whedon saw Outlaw Star and was just like, yep, I'm just going to make that. <laughs> yeah, and even you can go as far back to Metropolis in the 1920s about a robot coming to life that is very lifelike and is too much like a human and people yeah. mistake it for a human. So, I mean, it's not a particularly new idea, but just the way they pull it off is pretty similar. Yeah. Or Alita Battle Angel. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. but yeah, that would be amazing. That's good. Oh yeah, mine would be Redwall. I'd totally adapt oh, the, yes. the children's the, series Redwall about medieval that, mice. That would be awesome. And ferrets and badgers. And there's 40 books in the series. Yeah, I think that would be really cool. Especially in CG, it would look awesome. I definitely read the first one, and I think I got through part of the second book, but I didn't I didn't get through. Was it Mossflower or Martin the yeah, Warrior? I think it was Mossflower, because I think they do Martin the Warrior, the third one, and then they do like lord salamander the fourth one or something yeah or... that sounds right anyway yeah martin the warrior was really cool that would i think i would do Redwall and then martin the warrior so yeah. i would immediately just go back to martin's story because that's a, be that cool. would be a prequel moving on portland director jonathan crisell will be helming a live action musical version of sesame street over the last few years in 2015 after 45 years at pbs first run episodes of sesame street are now premiering on hbo as a means of hbo being more family friendly They haven't got rid of their raunchy late night programming, which they used to be known for. They got rid of it over the last couple of years. Let's be serious. No one uses HBO to see boobies anymore. They now use it to say they now use it to see Elmo, which I think is a good thing. Uh, Yeah, and you can see boobs on Game of Thrones. So like, why do you need it? You don't. You can see well written boobs. Exactly, exactly. You could see an entire scene of exposition with boobs. Yeah. (laughs) Chris Galletta is rewriting a script originally written by Mike Rosolio. So that will be very interesting. It's It seems like Sesame Street is part of the Warner brand now, even though it's just the deal they have with HBO. But with this movie and everything, it seems they're going to go more in the Warner camp while Disney owns the Muppets. So yeah. We'll probably really never see them cross over again. I don't know. Do you think this live action musical version of Sesame Street, would it premiere on HBO or is this like theatrical release? I think it would be theatrical. Totally. Okay. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, there's been other movies like Follow That Bird and I think like Elmo and Grouchland, but Okay, I haven't seen either of those. Yeah. Oh, I remember Follow That Bird being really great. They all they're filled with celebrities, these movies. Mm. I follow that bird, I think it's just Big Bird trying to get home to Sesame Street and he's just lost around America. Oh, that's a good premise. That's yeah. clear and simple. Yeah, yeah, and it's just really, it's it's really cool. I think yeah. that was theatrical as well, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, yeah. Warner has bought the movie rights to the novel FKA USA in a seven-figure deal. The book is about what happens after the final president of the United States fails to prevent environmental disaster and every state secedes and becomes lawless states. It then follows four characters that are sent on a secret political mission. It is said to be a mix of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Wizard of Oz, and Ready Player One, which... 
Ready Player One was already a mix of Willy Wonka and Wizard of Oz. It seems kind of silly to say that, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it seems very interesting. I can see that maybe happening. It seems like a very simple idea. Lawless states, every state is their own country. It know. does, and I don't know the age of the protagonists in the book, but it also seems like if you don't watch out, you could end up with another Divergent or something, but it seems like a cool premise. Yeah. Have you watched the Riverdale spinoff, The Chilling Adventures? of sabrina yet i have i think i've seen at least the first seven episodes oh wow i don't think i've finished the first season i've um i've got like five and a half in i think and then Mm -hmm. i just stopped watching i haven't picked it up to finish it i like the aesthetic of the show but i feel like it's kind of Dull and Kieran Shipka. Kieran and Shipka, yeah. Yeah, I feel like she's like I really liked her on Mad Men, but I don't like her on the show. I feel like yeah. she's very one note, and the very first scene, she's very bubbly and open, and it's like I love movies, and and we're at a movie theater, and movies, 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 and then after that scene, I feel like her character is never like that again. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. It's I definitely weird. agree. I think I keep watching because the set design is awesome. It really the, is, and the direction is awesome i think those directors should win some awards because you know the writing is okay but the directing makes it seem like it's a lot better show than it is for Uh, sure i don't think i i don't think i would have watched seven episodes if it wasn't as stylistically cool as it is definitely but on the flip side i love riverdale like i love that show so much i think it's like so perfect how ridiculous it is it's great I saw part of the first season, but I, that's one show I want to go back to. It, it's a nice mix of something that doesn't take itself too seriously, but it stays true enough to the characters, and they're they're at least consistently written. Um, yeah, and it's yeah. it's a perfect mix of Dawson's Creek meets Pretty Little Liars meets Twin Peaks, and, yeah, and, and with this overcoating of Archie mythology. And it's really cool how they built the whole entire thing. The season three is really great because they have this Dungeons and Dragons type game called Griffins and Gargoyles. Uh And it's revealed that over the last centuries, Riverdale has been playing this game. And when they play the game, it's actually taken seriously and people start dying around town. And it's it's really cool how they tie in the simple game into the greater mythology of Riverdale. It's really, Mm. really Really neat. This has been yeah. my favorite season so far out of the three. And then there's also a secret fight club inside the jail, <laughs> which is so ridiculous, <laughs> but it's great. Cool. Yeah. Well, the Satanic Temple sued Warner Brothers Television and their Netflix show and Riverdale spinoff, The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, because in the show, Sabrina goes to a Hogwarts-like school for witches, and they have a statue that is straight up a statue. The Satanic Temple uses and has copyrighted of a goat-headed devil holding up two fingers with children looking up at it. The Satanic Temple wanted $50 million in damages. <laughs> and settled for an undisclosed amount and now have their name in the credits. They didn't want their image tarnished by the show. <laughs> that's what they said. So well, that's that's your classic case of let's ask for fifty million and get two million and move on. <laughs> yeah. And credit. <laughs> yeah, and credit. Yeah. I'm surprised they got credit, honestly. Like that's but maybe the deal was 
well, since you're using our copyrighted material, you have to take it off the streaming service if you don't credit them or something. Yeah, like legally. Yeah. Yeah. Another project in the works at Warner is a live action adaptation of Johnny Quest for the movie theater. Chris McKay, who directed the Lego Batman movie and also has a Catwoman tattoo on his left arm, will direct Johnny Quest. I mean, if the project actually goes forward, supposedly they're still going off of a script written by Terry Rossio and Dan Matsu. Robert Rodriguez was originally in talks and direct but he's too busy with his el rey network right now chris mckay has also been rumored to direct a nightwing movie and he's also supposedly producing the wily e. coyote versus acme movie mckay seems to be fully engulfed in warner properties mckay is also hard at work on the lego batman movie too he's recently stated on twitter that he is working on the project right now <laughs> so he's a very busy man over yeah. at warner i definitely have more faith in him doing a Johnny Quest movie than Robert Rodriguez. Which yeah. no offense because I mean Robert Rodriguez stylistically is just has such cool looking visuals and cool looking movies. But I think the people who did the Lego movies just have such a great grasp of storytelling and and how to balance more of a family friendly character with more adult themes. So yeah, and I, I heard that the Lego movie too, the second part had kind of a tortured development cycle with firing directors and uh, well oh. just directors okay. just directors leaving the project and then writers coming in and the bojack horseman guy came in to write some stuff and he doesn't get credit on the final film mm. but from what i've heard the final film is amazing because you saw the first one right yes i didn't see lego batman but i saw lego uh, movie first... yes yeah yeah well yeah the conceit of how will ferrell's the dad and the kid playing with the toys yeah that was genius yeah and then his little sister comes in with the duplos at the end i think the story of lego movie 2 goes between him playing with it and then the little girl playing with it so the story like vastly changes from moment to moment sometimes i've heard wow just in a really cool way it seems very creative what they're doing over there as always yeah honestly doing a lego movie sounds like one of the hardest jobs i can imagine because there's so many things you can do with it and there aren't real story parameters other than what the studio would want but it's just obviously with legos there are an infinite amount of legos so there are just so many different directions you can go and it's pretty amazing what they've already done with the franchise yeah and what do you do as cg what do you do as actual legos like what do you waste time to really build yeah yeah it's it's all really fascinating yeah i hope it keeps going from what i've heard too the billion brick race which was another lego project that lord and miller were working on is dead now i don't think Mm. that project's actually happening Crazy Rich Agents director John M. Chu, who made Warner Brothers Crazy Rich, is developing a biopic film about the new lead singer of Journey. The Filipino Arnel Pineda was an obscure singer that Journey found on YouTube and made him their lead singer. Warner owns the rights to the documentary about Arnell, so this is a natural extension of that, and especially with Bohemian Rhapsody making over $500 million at the box office for Fox, and Rocketman, the young Elton John biopic for Paramount, which has Taron Edgerton playing Elton John, and Elton John and Taron Edgerton actually acted alongside each other in Kingsman the Golden Circle. So with all that happening, this is a no-brainer, I think, this, oh, this yeah. Journey movie. 
they scheduled the Elton John movie to release after the Bohemian Rhapsody movie. So if, if Rhapsody was a big success, then ideally they'd be able to oh, yeah. oh, if, jump off of that. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. And it would be really cool, even though there's these are all different movie studios, but if they did like a superhero Avengers where they combined all of these together, like all the rock stars. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you can even do a David Bowie biopic, and then you can do them all as a superhero team. I think that would be awesome. <laughs> that would be awesome. I mean, you could do a superhero team of just David Bowie characters, the different phases of David Bowie. That would be so career. cool. Yeah. yeah. Or a fighting game where you can play as all the yeah. different David Bowies. <laughs> yes. Oh, that'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah. I'd play as Tesla David Bowie from The Prestige, personally. Yeah. Exclusively. He's, pretty, he's the smoothest David Bowie. For sure. Well, and also David Bowie is a superhero on Venture Brothers. I don't know if you've ever gotten oh, that far on that show. No. Yeah. They start mixing rock and roll mythology into their Venture Brothers mythology. And oh, that's it's, cool. It's really fascinating, yeah. And they wanted to get David Bowie originally to play himself, but and they're like, why doesn't he want to do it? But it's like, guys, it's because he secretly has cancer and is dying. Yeah. Unfortunately. And he's working on an album at the same time as that's happening. So that's true. Yeah. Black Sun, I think that's what it was called. Or Black Star. Black Star, yeah. Yeah. So cool. Because he has his own mythology, which is really cool. Two more bits of news here, and then we can wrap it all up. Ava DuVernay and her production company, Forward Movement, has signed a $100 million deal with Warner Brothers Television for comedy and drama. She also recently signed on with Warner Pictures to make the DC comics film New Gods. She currently has Queen Sugar on OWN and Redline on CBS. Both are Warner shows. And Ava DuVernay is a power player now in Hollywood. She's going to yeah. be around forever. So it makes sense. And then Bill Lawrence, creator of Scrubs, Cougar Town, and Spin City, has re-upped his deal with Warner Brothers Television for a third consecutive time. His production company is named Doozer. He is a powerhouse producer who has been moving into the hour-long category, having produced the Rush Hour hour-long series for CBS, and is developing the DC Comics property Secret Six as an hour-long drama. Interesting. Yeah. That's basically all of the Warner AT&WB news that we have for this week. So final thoughts on anything? No, that's, it's just an amazing amount of news that comes out of Warner Media. And it's impressive how much every week there is to talk about just with all the different creators, especially Bill Lawrence, for instance. You wouldn't think of him as working on a DC property. And then all of a sudden you hear, you know, he's announced to be developing Secret Six. And I don't hate that idea because he's such a genius. I could see him turning something yeah, I mean, uh, I really love Scrubs. Right out of it. And, yeah. then, and you have to think that the Russo brothers, who have directed four or five Marvel movies now, yeah. they came out of Community, like the, yeah, the, the comedy show Community. So if they can go from that to making $1.3 billion at the box office for each movie, then I think Bill Lawrence would be able to do that too. <laughs> Yeah. Especially, I love Scrubs. Scrubs was a really great show. Yeah, Scrubs was pretty awesome. I saw a little bit of Spin City, and I never really watched Cougar Town, but I did watch Scrubs. I've seen a little bit of Cougar Town and a little bit of Spin City. I've seen every episode of Scrubs. It was fully enjoyable. I think that leads us out of this episode of the 18WB podcast. I don't even know if the name of this podcast makes any sense to anyone except for myself. <laughs> that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. And if anyone ever asks, the letters do stand for something not warner brothers like but i don't know what they stand for <laughs> <laughs> i was thinking like at and wb like all talk and but then i don't know what the wb would stand for 
I'll talk and with boys. No, it doesn't <laughs> I'll make talk and with boys. <laughs> I'll I'll talk and with banter. And with and witty banter. I'll and talk. Witty banter. And, uh, that's it. I'll talk and witty banter. This has been the I'll talk and witty banter podcast, which focuses exclusively on Warner Brothers news. I've been your host, Chris Taylor, and this is Alex Wilson. And that's the show. So thank you for joining us. And I hope you look forward to the next episode. That's all, folks. Roar! This has been a full dinosaur production.